1: is the weekend crouch i'm your host Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. A little snow on Friday. I guess the weather keeps fluctuating from warm to cold, to fall weather, to spring weather, to winter weather. Maybe it's the six seasons of the year. It's been absolutely unbelievable. I Can't stand this weather. If it's wintertime, it should just be cold. We haven't had any snow. All winter long. We're going into February. No snow. There was only one time this season so far where it's been in the teens. It's been horrible. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you. We will be talking to former Jaguars, Broncos, and Cowboys defensive end,
2: Jeremy Mincy. We'll get into a lot with the New York Giants, but before we do that, Speedy, how are you? My New York Giants kind of disappointed me, but my expectations were not very high for that game anyway. I was just annoyed they got blown out. But interesting experience with you and the Beave and his family at uh, Miller's. Beaver Alehouse. Boys! Or as we now know, Pete Alonso's Miller Alehouse. Pete Alonso Soon to get a new
1: contract. Pete Alonso. McNeil gets a new contract. Yes, he does. $50 million, four years, 50. Yeah, that's, that's a nice contract. Mm. Especially for the Mets. I don't know about McNeil. I think he should have gotten a lot more. This is a guy that won a batting title. But yeah, the Giants lose 38-7 to the Eagles. What's next for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley? AFC and NFC Championship game preview. And picks. The AFC and NFC title game. Two really good games. The Jets hire Nathaniel as the offensive coordinator, Frank Wright gets a new job with the Panthers. The NHL, should the Islanders be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. 103.9, the home of the New York Islanders. I'm sure a lot of people want to know our opinion. Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff, the only two players to make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. NBA, the Knicks, and Cam Reddish garnering lots of trade interest across the league with the trade deadline less than two weeks away. February 9th. The Knicks are in a playoff spot at a very clear playoff spot. Is Zach Levine still available. Julius Randle having a, a pretty good week. Maybe he could be on the move. I think if you're a Nick fan, you would hope, Mr. Mm-hmm. Bricklayer. And Jalen Brunson's been unbelievable for the Knicks this year. But let's get into it. The New York Giants. The Giants, it was an embarrassing game. Now, are you are going to take shots at the New York Giants? Are everybody shocked that the Giants got their butts whipped by the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia? No. Philadelphia is beyond better than the New York Giants. Because of the talent. Over the last couple of weeks, Jalen Hurts has not been 100%. And that hurt the Eagles and the way they position themselves. They had the best record in football before Jalen Hurts got hurt. They lost against Dallas. They didn't play well in certain games. And it has nothing to do with their quarterback play. They have the talent. A.J. Brown stayed healthy. Smith has stayed fairly healthy. Their running back Sanders has been healthy all year. Goddard has been fantastic all season long as a tight end. Going into this game, a lot of Giant fans thought because of the statistics with the New York Giants six and zero. Against number one seeds in the NFL. Daniel Jones has had a fantastic year. Over 3,200 yards, 600 yards run. One of the top three mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. Saquon Barkley was on his way. They beat a Minnesota Vikings team that a lot of people thought was a little bit better than they were. Wink Martindale has been fantastic. Looking for a new coaching job and maybe a head coaching job as he interviewed for Indianapolis. And Brian Dable, to me, was coach of the year. He has had a fantastic rookie season as a head coach. So going into this game, they matched up in Giant fans' eyes very well against the Philadelphia Eagles. But what we saw on Saturday night was a team that just didn't have enough talent to beat a team that was just that much better than they were. Jalen Hurts looked like he was 100%. Jalen Hurts went out there and completely dominated the line of scrimmage. Not only did he run the ball very well, he threw the ball accurately and specifically in the open field. A.J. Brown, we expected to have a big game. He did. We expected Smith to show up in his first big game as an NFL wide receiver from Alabama, and he did. Goddard made some plays in the open field. The Giants have had problems all season long against tight ends. And the defense absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. And I'm not surprised that the number one weapon for the Giants was shut down. Saquon Barkley was absolutely shut down. I'm not surprised that Daniel Jones, his strength of running the ball, was shut down by the Philadelphia Eagles. Because when you watch the film, the Giants gave up 268 rushing yards by the Eagles, the most ever against the Giants in a postseason game, breaking a record of 246 set by the 1935 Lions. Jalen Hurts had a 112.2 passing rating, which is fourth in Eagles playoff history. Boston Scott has 11 carry touchdowns against the Giants. Only three Hall of Famers, Jim Brown with 12, Leroy Kelly with 14, and Emmitt Smith with 21 that had more. And the Eagles outgained the Giants by 189 yards in the largest margin in the playoffs since 1949. The Giants completely got dominated. Daniel Jones didn't look good as he did in Minnesota. But does the Giant fans need to be discouraged for the season that they had? No. Slayton is not a number one. It's not even a number two. They have no number ones. They have no number twos. They paid a guy like Kenny Galladay a lot of money who only blocked in the playoffs.
2: <laughs> His best play of the season. Then he'll disappear for 10 games after that.
1: This team is not built to win right now. The benefits of being in the NFC is great. Tom Brady is gone. Aaron Rodgers looks like he could be gone. The NFC is going to be even more weaker than it was this year. So the Giants don't have to rebuild fast. They could rebuild a little bit this season and wait another year and then go all out. On rebuild mode It was a successful season Were they embarrassed On Saturday night? Absolutely They played against A far more superior team A team that was not Going to lose In Philadelphia When they're one of the Favorites of winning It
2: all this year Expectations wise You definitely cannot be mad If you're a Giants fan Yes you would want A more competitive game Against an NFC East rival Eagles that have beaten The Giants in the playoffs Many times In the 21st century So yeah you were hoping For a better game But expectations wise The Giants were not Supposed to go anywhere They're supposed to be One of the four worst teams In the NFC this year, and they made the playoffs, they won a playoff game in Minnesota, a 13-win team. They really exceeded expectations on the talent perspective because of Brian Dable and because of Wink Martindale where they don't have to look for as many holes, like you were saying. They badly need wide receiver help, I think they badly need offensive line help, and they definitely could use some pieces on the defense too, but you saw the Eagles really take that away. The Eagles dominated in the trenches both ways in that game. Their offensive line was the best in the league all year, and so was their defensive line when it came to rushing the passer. 70 sacks that led the league by far. It wasn't just Miles Sanders that ran all over them, it was all Also, Kenneth Gainwell that had over 100 yards against them. The Giants really never were able to adjust. They couldn't get Saquon involved in the game because they were so far behind. They had to keep throwing the ball. And the one thing I'll criticize Brian Dable for is they didn't really run Daniel Jones a lot. The Eagles have had trouble with running quarterbacks this year. They're not a team that blitzes very often. So overall, you definitely can't be mad at the expectations for the season. For the offseason, I think you've definitely seen that the Giants are going to prioritize having Daniel Jones as their franchise quarterback. I think he's proven more than enough to be able to do that. We'll see on Saquon. He might have to franchise tag him. The Bills front office, which Joe Shane comes from doesn't like to pay a lot of running backs we'll see if Saquon's there and then Dexter Lawrence the other big one who had an all pro caliber year this year Giants future definitely bright and can't be mad even though they lost against the Eagles again, bad fashion absolutely their position really was
1: if they make the playoffs good. If they didn't make the playoffs and they won eight or seven games, that's a good season for a season that they had last year with a rookie coach this year. So it was a successful season for the New York Giants. Now, going into the offseason, they're going to have to make decisions with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is going to be franchised. More than likely, they didn't give him his fifth-year option. I think it was a big mistake in the beginning of the season. I think they should have. He's going to make about $31.5 million if they franchise him, and then they're going to have to extend him. He is probably going to get a three or four year deal worth about 75 90 million dollars that's what he's worth right now close to 30 million a year so expect that Saquon Barkley everything that we've heard Joe Shane say at the press conference after the season was over with Brian Dable it seems like he doesn't have any trust that they're going to resign him they have to put their money in the right places they need to help out the offensive line as Thomas was the only big piece they had this year they drafted a piece last year he didn't play very well at the right tackle position Maybe another year playing at that position he develops. But they need to give Daniel Jones weapons. He has no weapons. Kenny Galladay will probably be gone if they figure out how they can trade him for a pick or two. If they move that contract, that's about $80 million on the cap that they have. Where If they want to keep Saquon, they can keep Saquon. Still go after a wide receiver and draft a wide receiver. And rebuild this offensive line, which they're going to need next year if they want to compete. Going into the offseason, the Giants are going to have to make important decisions on where this organization is going and where this organization will be in two or three years.
2: Yeah, receivers are definitely the biggest need, though, and I think they need Mm -hmm. multiple. I'm hoping they stay younger with that. I know there was rumors with Hopkins. I would hope the Giants will stay younger there. We saw the Bills do that with Stephon Diggs when the time was right. Maybe the Giants do the same kind of thing with that front office approach and go for one of the younger guys, a 2020 NFL draft, maybe a T. Higgins or a Michael Pittman. You might have to deal a first-round pick if you want to trade for a T. Higgins, but it might be worth it because the Giants need weapons badly and they need multiple.
1: So let's get into all the players. Playoff games, Jaguars versus the Chiefs. It was an interesting game. The game became close after Mr. Mahomes got hurt. His ankle, high ankle sprain, it pulled under Arden Key. And it really affected him in the second quarter as he sat out. And Chad Henney took over and did what he needed to do. Helped them get a touchdown before the quarter ended and gave them that 17-7 lead. There were a lot of interesting things that stood out in this game that could have put the Kansas City Chiefs in jeopardy, but didn't. The one good thing that happened in this game was Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey was blocking, he was catching, he had a career high of 14 catches, tied third most among active players in a single game. Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas are tied for the record of 16, and Brandon Marshall has the all-time record of 21. Travis Kelsey had one of the great games you can ever see a tight end have, and all those guys that we mentioned wide receivers. So Travis Kelsey is a man that sticks out by himself as a tight end of all-time records that we just mentioned. Chad Henney led a 90-yard touchdown drive with Mahomes Hurt, which is the longest touchdown drive in postseason history. So Chad Henney, he's going to be immortalized as the guy that has the record, the longest touchdown drive we've ever seen in playoff history. He breaks a record by the Saints in 2019 who had a 92-yard drive against the Eagles. And then Chris Jones with six total pressures but did not have a sack. That is the first time Chris Jones has six pressures and no sacks. The Jaguars stopped Chris Jones, but still, the defense played very well, and that has a lot to do with the way they like to bring up the blitzes on third downs, and this is a Spagnola defense we've seen in 2007 with the New York Giants. Why they won the Super Bowl, why they played the way they did in the Super Bowl that year was because of Spagnola's defense, bringing up the pressure on third downs, bringing up the DBs and safeties on third downs. That's what they did against Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence is a young guy did he have a great game no 5.6 yards he didn't even look good in the second half like he did in the first game of this playoff the wild card charges so there's a lot of good things that stood out to me with the Jaguars number one Trevor Lawrence is the real deal number two they have a really good wide receiver in Christian Kirk I was wondering why they gave him $76 million in the offseason. He showed why he deserved every penny that he got after leaving Arizona. They made a trade at the trade deadline. Everybody was questioning why they would make a trade because he's not playing this year. For Calvin Ridley, a number one wide receiver, he did not play this year, but he'll be back next year. Now you have two weapons that's going to help Trevor Lawrence's development. Doug Peterson, coaching his first season, took this team all the way to the playoffs after a wildcard game that they had no business winning, and giving the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead, all the pressure they could give in a big game like that. And yes, Mahomes wasn't 100%. Yes, they didn't play their game after Mahomes got hurt. But Andy Reid is a smart guy. Andy Reid is one of the best coaches in the NFL. And if you look at what Andy Reid has done year in and year out, not only in the AFC, but in the NFC, he has been successful everywhere he's gone. So even without Patrick Mahomes, they made sure that they were in the game and they
2: stayed in the game against a powerhouse team like the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, Andy Reid's always going to have a backup plan. You saw him do that with Chad Henney great concepts. Travis Kelsey with a 14-catch performance. That's unheard of in the regular season, nevertheless in the postseason. How many postseason games that have had receivers with double-digit catches as a whole, too? Travis Kelsey, he's maybe on a path for maybe the greatest tight end of all time, that the pace he's going on, at least from a receiving standpoint. And Patrick Mahomes, we'll see how the ankle injury affects him down the road. He's been the best quarterback in terms of passer rating and yards outside the pocket. Inside the pocket, he's still very good. Number three in both categories.
1: Bengals-Bills uh, was a fantastic game. Not so fantastic for the Buffalo Bills. A lot of people thought the Kansas City Chiefs knock off the Jaguars and the Bills, knock off the Bengals, and they go to Atlanta. The Bengals wanted nothing of it. The Bengals wanted no part of hearing that they were going to get knocked off in Buffalo. It was a snowy day. It was cold. The ground was hard. Joe Burrow showed up and played the game of his life. Now, Joe Burrow isn't a fancy guy. He is not Josh Allen where he could jump over people and do the things with his legs. He is a smart quarterback, a.k.a. Tom Brady. I have told everybody over the last couple of years, what quarterback in the league right now reminds you most like Tom
2: Brady? and to me it is. Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow, they call him Joe Cool. Boy, was he cool on Sunday afternoon. Seven different receivers he spread the ball out to. The Bengals had a fantastic game plan. Normally critical of Zach Taylor, but he coached very well in that game. Got everybody involved. And Joe Mixon getting involved too is a great sign for the Bengals because he had a kind of rough regular season for his standards. Only really had three or four good games. And Samaj Piran outplayed him at certain points. But the Bengals offense was brilliant. The Bengals defense even more brilliant. Holding Stefan Diggs, who had a little bit of a tantrum on the sideline as well. just four catches for 35 yards. And Giants fans are former. Trash talking corner I had a lot to say About that as well The whole Diggs thing And Allen
1: thing I believe it's all Competitive nature Stefan Diggs is a Competitive player We have seen Stefan Diggs When he played for Minnesota How many Tampa tantrums He had over there Now he was traded It was a great trade Jefferson gets drafted He's one of the best wide receivers in football And Stefan Diggs goes over there To Buffalo and helps Josh Allen This is one of the best Tandems in the NFL But to go out there And do the things that you did on the sidelines with your star quarterback. And then don't shake any hands at the end of the game. You walk off the field. You go into the locker room. You get dressed. And you walk away from the press. Shows you that you're not mature. I understand you lost. I understand you're not happy that you didn't get enough touches. Maybe you weren't running the right routes. Gabe Davis did not have a big game. Stephon Diggs did not have a good game. They couldn't run the ball. It was too cold. It was too wet. Mixon ran the ball very well. Pirine ran the ball very well. Everybody was talking about before the game, the Bengals offensive line that wasn't 100% healthy actually held one of the best defenses in the NFL to no sacks in the first half. The Buffalo Bills did not have a big game. And they needed to show up in a game that everybody thought that Buffalo Bills were not only the favorites, they were the favorites before the season started to win the Super Bowl
2: like, double-digit betting favorites in every
1: game. Josh Allen was outplayed by Joe Burrow. Now, does that mean Joe Burrow is better than Josh Allen? It doesn't. Joe Burrow played better under pressure. Is he a better under pressure quarterback? Absolutely. Joe Burrow won a national championship with LSU when he was a third-string quarterback in Ohio State. He goes to LSU in one year, breaks records, and wins a national championship, and becomes the number one pick in the first round by the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati's defense was fantastic. They put pressure on the edges. Hendrickson was getting to Josh Allen at will. Their secondary, yes, Eli Apple played well. He shut down Stephon Diggs. Could the Bengals do that this week? I don't know. This Bengals team, the game plan was solid. The Bengals coaching staff 100% did what they needed to do to shut down the strengths of the Buffalo Bills and absolutely beat up the weaknesses of the Buffalo Bills. And then there are the Cowboys. All those Cowboy fans, those Dak Prescott haters. I do believe the Cowboys put on a good show. And I know a lot of people are going to say that Dak Prescott choked in the big game once again. Brock Purdy, who everybody thinks is the next coming of Tom Brady, did not have a great game. And I know a lot of people are going to sit here and say, Brock is 6-0 as a starter. What we saw on Sunday was Brock Purdy looked human against a great defense, an elite defense. Even though they were ranked at the end of the season at number 13 in the NFL, this team in the first eight games of the year was an elite top five defense. When Micah Parsons and Lawrence, Van Der Esch, these guys are amongst the league's best at their positions. In the first quarter, they had no confidence in their kicker, Brett Maher. In the offseason, where do they go with Pollard? Where do they go with Zeke? Does Dak come back? Do they trade Dak? We know Dan Quinn's coming back. We know Mike McCarthy's coming back. We know Jerry Jones will always be back. This team made mistakes, but stayed in a game against the elite defense. Christian McCaffrey didn't have one of those games that just stood out, like in the wild card game against Seattle. He scored a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey, with a touchdown in eight straight games, is the longest streak in his career, and the longest by a 49er since T.O. in 1998. Brock Purdy is the fourth quarterback to make a conference championship, joined by Detier Brock in 1985, Kurt Warner in 1999, and yes, the GOAT, as everybody says. Tom Brady in 2001. C.D. Lamb had a fantastic game. He was the only option they could throw to after Pollard rolled his ankle and left the game on a high ankle sprain 111 yards no other cowboy skilled player had more than 33 yards no weapons but it's Dak Prescott's fault he did throw a terrible interception in the first quarter and he had two in the whole game the fourth quarter was absolutely horrendous I don't blame Dak Prescott on the play calling. He is not the offensive coordinator. He is not Mike McCarthy. The Cowboys in the fourth quarter, as dominant as their defense was the first three quarters, gave up too many yards, let Christian McCaffrey run, let Debo Samuel run, and Brock Purdy did what he needed to do in the fourth quarter to run out the clock and
2: give the San Francisco 49ers a 19 to 12 win over the Dallas Cowboys you saw the difference in the fourth quarter too with the Niners defense being able to get third down stops the Cowboys defense really struggled with a lot of those third down stops the key ones George Kittle obviously had that insane catch on third down third and long probably the best catch we've seen so far this postseason that was a match of advantage that Kyle Shanahan did a good job of exploiting kind of keeping Micah Parsons off the ball which prevented the pass rush that Dallas really dominated with in the first half which was surprising because the Dallas interior defensive line is not supposed to be great but it was dominating throughout that first half, and like you were saying, Purdy was put under a lot of pressure. Now, the one thing that was concerning with the Niners was the red zone offense. Four field goals and only one touchdown. It gave Dallas a chance for a while, but between the play calling and Dak Prescott's decision-making, Mike McCarthy doing what he does best, bad fourth-quarter clock management. They wasted 20 seconds when they didn't have to. Really was not ideal for those circumstances. Yeah, I know Tony Pollard went out, but you have to have a better backup plan than that, and he really seemed like he was forcing the ball Zeke was horrible. He's getting paid $16 million
1: a year. He had 53 total yards on 23 23- Carries In two postseason games this year What do the Cowboys do in the offseason Is sayonara to Zeke Find a way to sign their future Number one running back in Pollard This team couldn't do anything without him After they lost him in the second quarter They couldn't run the ball, they couldn't use him as a wide receiver They couldn't do anything in the backfield The way they expected to do And use him as a weapon in this particular game When we come back, the New York Jets Have a new man in town An offensive coordinator Named Nathaniel Hackett. As everybody believes now, Aaron Rodgers could be on his way to New York. When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Arrow Marks, my co host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., New York Eastern Time only, on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and a World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com, for the New York Jets. They're in a pretty good shape. A new QB and a new offensive course. The New York Jets already came out and said that they want a veteran guy. They want a guy that's going to come in and change this offense for the better. And Nathaniel Hackett wasn't a good head coach. He was in and out of Denver. But Nathaniel Hackett has been a good offensive coordinator over the years. He was a good offensive coordinator for the Jaguars. And he was a good offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers had two of his best years. And he has come out and said that he would be interested in possibly playing for the New York Jets. On the Pat McAfee show, he came out and said that that, The Jets have a tremendous amount of talent. With Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and Elijah Moore. And the weapons that the Jets have, they have a great future. Aaron Rodgers said about Zach Wilson that humility is very good for a young quarterback to learn. And now we're hearing, after they signed an offensive coordinator that knows Aaron Rodgers very, very well and Nathaniel Hackett, a lot of people believe they brought Nathaniel Hackett in to draw Aaron Rodgers to New York. Now, Adam Scheffner reports that the Packers will not trade Aaron Rodgers within the NFC. There's only two AFC teams I think Aaron Rodgers would be interested in playing for. The Vegas Raiders, a team that has Devontae Adams, a guy that he knows very, very well, that he played with Green Bay. And another, the New York Jets. Now that Nathaniel Hackett is there, it was his offensive corner, they're very close. And also, he is a big fan of Robert Sala. Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee Show, he is open to reworking his contract with the Packers. Is he open to restructuring his contract with the Jets? I believe he would be. This is a guy that's trying to win that second title. He has not won in Green Bay. The last time he won was in 2010 as a six seed as a wildcard team. Aaron Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show, he does not want to force his way out of Green Bay, but he wants to decide what's best for him as a player. I understand that he said some interesting things about COVID. We all know he's an outspoken player. And in New York, he is going to have to keep his personality to himself because... In New York, you will be attacked by the press if you do open up and say stupid things. But if there's anybody that can do it, that can deal with the press here in New York, it's absolutely Aaron Rodgers. Everybody knows that the Raiders are targeting him because of Devontae Adams. These are the only two options I believe he has if he doesn't want to stay in Green Bay. The Jets would only have to shed a minimum of $3 million in cap space for a trade for Aaron Rodgers. They could still reconstruct his contract. As Peter King wrote a story about the Aaron rodgers Nathaniel. Hackett situation. He said that the New York Jets can actually renegotiate the, or spread out the contract of the $58 million of dead cap money into the first year $15 million and the second year $32 million and then the next two years after that even if he isn't a Jet, they could spread the cap out where it would only cost the Jets 8 to $10 million a year. The Jets still have options. They still can give Quinn Williams that extension which he wants. He wants to make $22 million. They will be able to do that if they make a move for Aaron Rodgers. The question is, who are they keeping? Are they keeping C.J. Mosley or Carl Lawson? They're not going to be able to keep both of them, or they're going to have to reconstruct their contract if they both want to stay on the New York Jets. I could see Mosley doing that. I can't see Carl Lawson doing that. This is the prime years of Carl Lawson. I think reconstructing his contract makes sense, but not too much because this is a guy that might not have a lot of big years left, contract years left, after coming off an Achilles tear. And the New York Jets, I think, are all in on Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers. When you see Nathaniel Hackett, it makes a lot of sense why Aaron Rodgers' name is getting waved around.
2: Now, you saw the Broncos do that same kind of approach last year where it seemed like if the Packers were going to trade Aaron Rodgers, Last year for two first round picks, like they want this year, the Broncos were going to be the lead team to do that. Thought of for a while that they were really going to trade him with Devontae Adams to Denver both at the same time. They got Russell Wilson instead, and that was a big coaching disaster. Probably one of the three worst coaching tenures I've ever seen, probably along with Urban Meyer and Freddie Kitchens in NFL history. Now the Jets are in a little bit of a better boat though because they have salary cap space, because they have young wide receivers. They don't have to trust at all. Let's hope Devontae Adams goes over there too. That's why I think the Jets have a little bit of an advantage too over the Raiders because the Raiders are dealing with a lot of other issues as it is with their salary cap. They have a really bad defense. They have a running back in Josh Jacobs that might walk in free agency, especially if they trade for Aaron Rodgers, who's getting $50 million. They're also rumored to potentially trade Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. Whereas the Jets, a lot of people are thinking of them as a potential quarterback away candidate. I don't know if I would go that far, but they don't need a lot in comparison to the Raiders. So the Jets have a lot more leeway if they want to go after it. I would not expect the Packers to be able to get two first round picks like they want. I think Joe Douglas is going to only do it at his price. And if he can't get it done in the next two weeks... Derek Carr, I think, will be a New York Jets. The Jets brought in Brett
1: Favre at the end of his career. They're not giving up first-round draft picks for Brett Favre. They didn't do any of that. They have to give up maybe a first and a second for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a little bit more athletic, more mobile. I think he still has two or three years left. He takes very good care of his body. If you look at Brett Favre's numbers, his final year with the Green Bay Packers, he threw over 4,100 yards, 66.5% in completion percentage, 7.8 yards per pass, 28 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, and a 95.7 passing rating. If this is the last year for Aaron Rodgers as a Green Bay Packer in 2022, 3600 95 passing yards, 64.5% completion percentage, 6.8 yards per pass, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions with a 91.1 passing rating. If you look at their numbers, I wouldn't say they're identical, but they're very close to one another. And that's what's scary about this, because when Brett Favre came to the Jets, his only year in 2008, he threw 3,472 passing yards, 65.7% completion percentage, 6.7 yards per pass, 22 touchdowns. touchdowns, 22 interceptions, which led the NFL, and an 81 passing rating. That's not going to cut it if the Jets are going to have to give up a first and a second, and they expect Aaron Rodgers to be their savior. It doesn't make sense, and the Jets need to be very, very careful on what they do with this move. They have to make sure that it's worth it to the organization because they still have to pay the guy. They
2: don't want to give up future prospects that could help this team move forward when Aaron Rodgers is no longer here. Also, prospects that are on the team right now, too. Now, you mentioned that the restructuring of the deal could be possible. Peter King report, and if the Jets can pull that off, that would be a masterclass by Joe Douglas, especially if they only have to give up a first and a second round pick because then they could structure it where the dead cap will go just for the one year next year, $32 million. But at that point, the Jets might have the rest of the talent really resolved. The Jets over... Overall core of their team, outside of the quarterback position, in particular spots on their defense and offensive line, really improved to be one of the more well-rounded teams in the AFC. They just couldn't put it together with the coaching and the quarterback position. That's why Michael LaFleur's not there anymore, and Nathaniel Hackett is now their offensive coordinator.
1: As a New York Jet fan, you have to understand that the New York Jets are going to do what's right for the organization. Joe Douglas is not going to trade away big prospects or top draft picks for just a player that you're going to keep for one year. It's not going to happen. This is not Mike Tannenbaum. This isn't the Eric Mangini regime. The New York Jets right now are positioned where they have enough young talent for the next couple of years where they can be a winning organization. This is a win now if they add Aaron Rodgers. It's a win now if they add Derek Carr. It's a must win for the Jets, especially if they have to give away prospects, which they're definitely going to have to do if they want to land Aaron Rodgers. And now, the AFC and NFC title games. Let's go first to the AFC. I know a lot of people love the Bengals. They love Joe Burrow. They love what he did in Buffalo. I I absolutely think Joe Burrow, he is going to be the pest of the AFC, just like Tom Brady over the years. His talent is definitely there. He's a guy that you depend on and a guy that can go out there and make every single throw. You saw on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. But you're going to Arrowhead, and it's not easy to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. And Joe Burrow, in the last three times he's met Kansas City, he is 3-0. and oh. That's why a lot of people are looking at this game to be a big statement game for Patrick Mahomes. High ankle sprain, he is not going to be 100%. It takes three to four weeks to heal a high ankle sprain. He could be shooting himself with cortisone every single day. He is not going to be at 100%. He is going to have to make sure that he ices it up and heats it up every quarter, and he needs to keep moving. Because if that ankle stiffens up, Patrick Mahomes will be in trouble. The Kansas City Chiefs will be in trouble. The one reason why you look at this game to be an advantage for Kansas City is Andy Reid. Andy Reid has been in this situation year in and year out. How many times have we seen Andy Reid in an AFC-NFC title game? 11 times. This is a guy that's won a Super Bowl. This is a guy that's been to the Super Bowl quite a few times. He understands how to win these games, even with a hurt quarterback, even if the quarterback isn't as good as the opposing quarterback, which he is. Joe Burrow, I would say he's fourth or fifth. Patrick Mahomes is going to win his second MVP this year. Breaking records. And I think Patrick Mahomes is going to come out very strong this week. But is it going to be enough against this defense? Is it going to be enough against this running game? Joe Mixon looked fantastic last week. Piron looked fantastic last week. If the Bengals can run the ball and open the field up for Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Hurst, this team is going to cause a lot of problems in the open field. And I don't trust the Kansas City Chiefs secondary. That's the weakness of the Kansas City Chiefs defense. And Chris Jones is going to have to have a two-sack game. He is going to have to cause a load of problems up front. This offensive line is not 100%. They weren't 100% last week, but they found a way to protect Joe Burrow. If the Kansas City Chiefs believe they have any chance of winning this game, this front seven is going to have to put pressure. Clark, Jones... All these guys, these beasts up front, have to put pressure on him. Blitz
2: packages. Understand, you cannot double any of these guys. I really think you have to play man on these guys. Spagnuolo's always been a man blitz guy, and I think he's going to continue to do that, too. Now, Jamar Chase has been the one, the guy they've never been able to stop. 460 receiving yards and three touchdowns against the Chiefs in his career. You cannot zone against this team. No, It's going to be very hard to be able to win like that. Now, an occasional zone blitz, occasional DB blitz, fine. But, yeah, it's going to be very hard if you don't win the match up front but the Chiefs they do have a powerful defensive line much bigger in size and also much better overall than Buffalo's line so still gonna be a tough matchup for that Bengals offensive line but you're right Chiefs secondary young all at once if they can get even average level protection that's gonna be really tough for them
1: and then there's the NFC this is going to be a power defensive game just like the Cowboys and San Francisco last week these two team strengths are their defense. Even though Philadelphia has a good offense, even though Philadelphia has a quarterback that can take over a game, even though Philadelphia can run the ball with Sanders and that three-headed monster, A.J. Brown and Smith and Goddard, this team could absolutely dominate offensively. And by the way, the best offensive line in football. But this is going to be a battle of the defenses. What defense is going to come out and show up in this game and dominate the line of scrimmage against two quarterbacks that have never been here? Jalen Hurts, who has been unbelievable, I believe, the MVP of the league this year before he got hurt. He's been the best quarterback. I know the numbers aren't Patrick Mahomes-esque, but he has done everything right when everybody doubted him. And then... Brock Purdy, I don't believe in him. But he has been spectacular when he needs to. And he made every single throw he needed to make in the divisional game against the Cowboys. This game is going to come down to special teams. This game is going to come down to coaching. This game is going to come down to the nitty and the gritty. And who wants it more?
2: And what quarterback is going to show up in the big game. This is as good of a battle in the trenches as you can get for both of these teams. The Niners have the number one run defense. The Eagles have the number one defense when it comes to sacks. 70 in the regular season. And Both these teams have stellar offensive lines. You mentioned the Eagles number one overall. The Niners number nine. And the Niners have among the league's best run-blocking offensive lines. The two areas that they could attack are the slot areas. Both these teams, if they have any weakness on the defense, has been those slot areas. The Eagles losing Avante Maddox throughout the year. And the Niners... They lost two corners. They just don't have a lot of secondary depth overall in that position. So whichever team can start to attack that more is going to make a difference. And also, can the Eagles get Jalen Hurts running again? Because he only had nine attempts against the Giants, but they were they were very efficient. And the Niners, they have a lot of speed with the linebacker position too. And You saw once Dallas started running in the first quarter with Dak a lot, they started to take that away. And their linebackers are tremendous with a lot of speed. So two very differently built defenses, but still very effective both ways. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to set our picks of the week, baby. We'll start with the NFC Championship game. 46 and a half, the over-under. I'm going to take the Eagles. Eagles' interior pass rush much better than Dallas. And the Niners had a lot of trouble with Dallas's interior pass rush in that first quarter. And I think that's something they can exploit. Well, I think McCaffrey will have a good game rushing. Elijah Mitchell, I don't think, will be as effective. He does a lot of the exotic inside runs. And Brock Purdy will be able to move around against that Eagles' deep Defensive line on the inside with Jordan Davis, Javon Hargrave, et etc. Also, Debo Samuel I don't think will be as big of a factor in this game because he likes to run on the inside a lot. I think the Eagles will be able to take that way just enough, and I don't like the Niners' red zone play calling. Four field goals? How do you do that? Now that being said, the Niners will be able to stop the run. Miles Sanders, you're not running like Derrick Henry like you did last week against the Giants. But I do think Jalen Hurts will get enough runs, just enough. And AJ Brown, I think this is finally the week he breaks out. He has not had a good postseason career, but the Niners have had struggles with big plays. Like you've mentioned, I think Brock Purdy's due for a big rookie mistake. So I'll take the Eagles in this game on the under
1: I love the Eagles this week Jalen Hurts is going to have a fantastic game I think his legs are going to play a big part in this game He is going to get out of the pocket He's going to use his legs He's an accurate throw. He's been an accurate thrower this year One of the more accurate quarterbacks in the NFL The secondary of the Eagles is fantastic Darius Slay I think is going to have a big game And there's nobody in this offense that really scares me But Debo Samuel in a big game like this I know everybody keeps talking about Christian McCaffrey And how talented he is Christian McCaffrey's never been in a position in a big game like this, playing in Carolina. Hayuk has never been 100% healthy over the last couple of years. He's been playing injured. Debo Samuel is the number one target. He's the scary target. And yes, George Kittle has been fantastic in the playoffs, and he's been fantastic year in and year out. George Kittle, he hasn't been a great player in the playoffs since Super Bowl 54. I think the advantage goes to the talented secondary of the Philadelphia Eagles and the power running game of Sanders and this three-headed monster. So I think they're going to be able to run against San Francisco. I think they're gonna open up holes and they're gonna do the things that they do best, controlling the clock and running out the clock. Give me the Eagles going to Super Bowl fifty-seven on the over.
2: AFC championship game is forty-eight. The over-under for the Bengals and the Chiefs. The Bengals, first of all, the coaching last week was very good. Now against Teams that have lesser quarterbacks. Not that Mahomes is a lesser quarterback, but he's playing hurt, So he's not going to be able to roll out to the same effectiveness. The Bengals have kind of played down to those types of teams this year. The struggle against the Ravens. You mentioned that Lamar Jackson, if he played in that game, the Ravens would win that game possibly by double digits. We saw that with the Browns. We saw that with the Cowboys, with Cooper Rush as that quarterback. The Bengals have played down to those teams a lot. And I think Andy Reid is not somebody you want to mess with that, that kind of thing. I think he's going to get guys like Jarek McKinnon, Kadarius Toney involved to make it easier on Mahomes early on. And I think towards the second half of the game, you'll start to see Mahomes' athleticism come out. The The other thing, too, is the Bengals' red zone offense has been very streaky at times throughout the year. I think you'll see a lot of Ben do not break Jamar Chase will get his yards. I think Samaje Pirine has a nice game getting his yards. And T. Higgins should be able to play better than he has been. It hasn't been consistent in the postseason. I don't think the Bengals will be able to run as much. Joe Mixon will not have the game he had last week. And the Bengals' offensive line against a bigger Chiefs' defensive line, I think, will have a little more trouble, especially in the interior. So, I think this is a toss-up game, but I don't think the Chiefs lose back-to-back years in the AFC Championship game. I can't see the Chiefs and 49ers losing in the NFC Championship championship game, so I think they win by one point. Give me Kansas City on the under.
1: In Joe, we trust. Joey cool, baby. I think the Bengals are going to win this game. I don't know if Mixon's going to have the game he had last week, or P. Ryan's going to have the game that he had last week. I don't know how good the offensive line's going to be when it's not snowing. I trust Joe Burrow. He's the healthy quarterback. Patrick Mahomes is coming off a high ankle sprain. I don't know if he's going to be able to make the throws that he needs to make to keep his team in the game. Chris Jones might have a better game. I don't know if this defense is going to be able to get to Joe Cool, especially with when he knows he has to release the ball fast. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Hurst, they're a four-headed monster team that loves to throw the ball and spread out this offense. They cannot double-team all four guys. I believe this is a game for T. Higgins to explode. Give me the Bengals, baby! On the over. And when we come back, our special guest, we will be talking to former Jaguars, Broncos, and Cowboys defensive end, Jeremy Mincy, here on the Weekend Crunch. Oh. Hot sicker than the average Papa Me. That's me. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, our very good friend. We are now talking to former Jaguars, Broncos, and Cowboys defensive end, Jeremy Mincy. Jeremy! What's up, man? How y'all guys doing today? We're Good man, you look better with your production <laughs> company, ex NFL player. I mean, who's better than you? Mike? Love the shades. I'm just trying,
0: it's like a $20 pair of shades from the gas station.
1: If I actually looked as good as you with shades on a live radio show, I'd be wearing shades too, man. I'm not that hip like you. Thanks, man. I'm trying to keep it, you know,
0: rocking. There's a young guy.
1: Too. How are you and your family doing with COVID 19?
0: We're doing great, man. I had it twice, survived, thank god. My wife, kids, but unfortunately, I lost my sister.
1: I'm oh, sorry, uh, sorry to hear that
0: from COVID 19. My wife also lost her best friend to COVID-19. So, it was definitely a bomber, man. COVID, I'm serious.
1: Well, I'm sorry to hear that about, about your that. sister, man. Nobody wishes that upon anybody. I know so many people that lost family members from COVID nineteen, and it's sad. But I'm happy that you and your family are doing better and hopefully moving on. But it's sad. May she rest in peace, my friend. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mister Mince Production, Jeremy Mincey. Mister Mince, how did you decide to build a production company? Are you a movie guru? or your movie head? What made you decide to structure a production company after your football career?
0: I was in the music business for a while. I actually started in my earlier teens with my cousin Fatboy who produced Wasted for Gucci Man. And I kind of stayed in the music realm and then when I got to the University of Florida me and multi-platinum artist J-Dash who created "Walk," We created a lot of music did a lot of pre-production and writing and things of that nature. And so I had an extensive music catalog throughout my football time. If I can. Take all this music I have and this huge catalog I got. I can start writing movies and things of that nature. So I started buying cameras and studying the business, studying the art of cinematography. And it's been great since,
2: man. The first project that you ended up doing, do you have a particular favorite project of yours that you've done since you've started? My
0: first feature film is called 13th and Pine. I just released that in late
2: 2022.
0: And it's getting a lot of great reviews. A lot of people buying it, giving me a lot of great feedback. So it's exciting to have something like that out there and it also it has a great message behind it it really talks a lot about how important a father is in a child's life so i also wanted to put a message out there with the things i produce
1: you always like to do that music and movies everything that you watch it from drama to action there's always a message from one part to the movie to the next so you always want to find that message and ride it we really appreciate that we are talking to former Cowboys Broncos and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz production Jeremy Mincy. when you look at the hip hop game and the hip hop game has been really transitioned from Biggie Smalls and Big Al and Big Pun and Tupac Shakur to now you got guys like Lloyd Banks and Lil Wayne and Drake and all the different guys what were your thoughts to the transition of the different hip hop music from the 90s to today what do you think the transition was from then to
0: now. I think along the way, it seems like the deeper we get into the technology era, is the feel of human soul is kind of slipping away. Cause if you go listen to Marvin Gaye right now, or even Journey, anything that had that feel of that soul has to be regurgitated or sampled to get it back. So we have to find a different innovative way to recreate where the state of music is. Because we went from artists with completely different ideology, sound, spirits, to a lot of artists sounding similar. And in order to get a hit, they have to take something from back then to now. We got some work to do, recreating
2: a new sound and a new wave of music. Who are some of the artists that you were influenced by growing up, getting yourself into the music game?
0: I listened to a little bit of everything, man. I was a huge Tupac fan. So was and I. And a huge Most Def fan. Outcast, Goody Mob, a lot of West Coast music, Snoop and Dre, and definitely a lot of East Coast music. I was a huge fan of Wu-Tang Clan, Big L, Tribe Call Quest, was one of my oh, favorite yes. groups. I've been influenced by a lot of it. Big Daddy came, most importantly. I remember the organic feel that the music had. That's why I worked through film. The Kind of make the music and film go hand to hand because great music makes a good movie or a great movie, as Tarantino would say. And that's why Tarantino has so many hit films because the music he would choose to set the mood of the movie
1: we are talking former Cowboys Broncos and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Minster Mint's production Jeremy Mincy you were drafted by the New England Patriots 6th round in 2006 what was it like being drafted what was it like being drafted by Bill Belichick
0: it was awesome it was a wonderful experience it was definitely a learning curve for me as a player I never played special teams there was a lot of things that I didn't do so I didn't understand the fundamentals of how to make a professional team so I took a lot of things for granted but had I been with Bill man. I no telling what type of player out of him. Bill was a great mentor. And believe it or not, man, he cares, man. I remember my dad was recovering from drugs. And I remember coming home from New England to Atlanta, and my dad was like, spoke with Bill Belichick took about two hours. And I'm looking at him <laughs> like, please. So I get back to New England, and Bill just wanted to sit down and have a meeting with me. And we sat and spoke, and he asked me about my dad and told me they had a great conversation, a good long conversation and that stuff. So I learned to never underestimate anybody, even my father or Bill. So that was a great teachable moment in my life to humble myself and stay focused. But Bill was awesome, man. It was like a concentration camp. And you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> But I definitely don't question his coaching
2: take. So 2007, you played with a Jaguars team that was very good, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Jack Del Rio, that defensive line. John Henderson, Marcus Stroud, probably the best defensive tackle duo that I've seen in my lifetime. So what was that whole season like? And also the 2007 playoffs, you guys beat the Steelers in the playoffs. David Garrard did that miracle fourth down run to set up the game-winning field goal. So what was that whole season like in your experience with the Jags? Oh
0: my gosh, it was amazing. I had blew my calf muscle out during training camp. So I got cut and put on pressure the squad and I worked my way up during the season to get on that team and the chemistry was amazing not only Big John Henderson and Marcus Stroud you had crazy Reggie Hayward Mike Peterson you know Sammy Knight machine matches it was a lot we had a lot of talent on the defense most importantly we had that swag I think that's what intimidated a lot of teams our camaraderie and our love for each other. It didn't take no mess. We was that type of team. Thank God I got to witness it. I wish we could have took it a little farther but it was an awesome run.
1: We are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mintz production, Jeremy Mincy. The game has transitioned. It's different. When you played, you were drafted in 2006. You played against quarterbacks like some of the greats. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger. Yes, yeah, you Amen. played some of the greatest quarterbacks of this era and maybe some of the greatest quarterbacks of all time time, but now you look at the quarterbacks now, the Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, or Justin Herbert. What is the difference, you remember, of the quarterbacks that you played in that time to the quarterbacks now that you watch on TV?
0: It's just a skill. Football is so huge nowadays that people are analyzing every technical aspect. Kids are getting a jump on things at an early age. You know, they're learning how to read coverages. They're learning all this stuff third, fourth, and fifth grade. So by the time they hit a junior in high school, they can break down defenses. It's just the
2: knowledge of it, it's just the evolution of it. The Broncos went to a Super Bowl that year. You got to play with Peyton Manning. What was that whole experience like going to Denver? I know you guys lost, did the Super Bowl, adjusting to the altitude. What was that all like? It
0: was amazing. And actually, that year, Marcus Ware was actually with Dallas. That's when Dallas made the switch. Well, Denver didn't. Offer me the contract that I thought I deserved. And Dallas did. I ended up going to Dallas at the Marcus the Denver, but that season was special. The great thing about that season to me was not to say this in a bad way, but it was Von Miller getting hurt and allowing me to show my talents as a player, and it kind of opened up different gates. But the Broncos organization was great, playing on the coach I had played for earlier in my career. He understood me, Terrence Knight, and there was a lot of guys I knew from my class on that team, so the chemistry, it was easy to get along with.
1: Them. You have four good teams going to the AFC and NFC title game. You watched the Cowboys get knocked out last week against the Francisco. Francisco 49ers and Brock Purdy, who I don't think is a top quarterback, but he did what he needed to do to get to the NFC title game. Going into this game with the Eagles in San Francisco, what stands out between both teams and who do you think has the advantage going into the NFC title game on Sunday?
0: This is going to be a huge toss-up because it's the high-powered quarterback versus the high-powered defense. and then You've got a pretty good delivery boy in Purdy on offense and a seasoned, instinctive Philly defense. But I really feel, like philly's gonna pull this one off they've gotten so used to winning that it's just becoming a thing to them man i think you know the Eagles are gonna walk away with this
2: so there's a lot of great pass rushers in the league today nick bosa micah parsons tj watt is there anyone that stands out to you the most of that bunch
0: micah man micah parsons is amazing dude you gotta watch him he's like vaughn miller times two his balance and the strength in his hips is it's just flat-out amazing. Things that guy can do on a consistent basis, it'll make any left tackle or right tackle a nightmare. game day, I'm telling you,
1: that guy so- Especially what he did on Sunday to the right tackle. He practically underarmed him and tossed him. You're talking about a 300-pound tackle. And Micah Parsons is like 230 pounds. He outran Tyreek Hill in a race. And he just threw. He did a Reggie White move and just threw him and then hit Brock Purdy. It was unbelievable. It was so special. And that shows you how special he really is. Micah Parsons is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Even though he didn't have the season he had in his rookie season, he's still very underrated on what he could do on the field. You, you could put him at the linebacker position, on the outside linebacker position, the defensive end. You could move him all over the field and this guy could do everything. You could probably play him at corner and he can outrun a tight end or outrun a wide receiver. So we've seen Micah Parsons do so many special things. So he's a fantastic talent. We are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. Mince Production, Jeremy Mincy, The AFC title game, Joe Burrow, where everybody were taking shots at the Bengals, especially with this game that could have played in Atlanta. If Buffalo won, they would meet Kansas City in Atlanta, but the Bengals had something to say about it, as you heard their coach say something, and then Joe Burrow says you might as well send those tickets back at the end of the game. Going into this game, Mahomes is not 100% healthy. His high ankle sprain, you know all about that high ankle sprain. As a quarterback, you gotta plant your back foot. It is on his back foot. And Joe Burrow, who has a lot of confidence going into this game, he is 3 and. Oh, in his last three games against kansas city what are your thoughts going into the afc title game kansas city versus the Bengals.
0: i want the Bengals to win it all but patrick mahomes he's banged up and joe burrow's hungry and he's used to defeating you guys so at some point in the game it's gonna be the pressures on kansas city because he's beat them multiple times so he feels like he could go in there and do that at any moment So Kansas City going to have to step it up. You got this smoking hot team in the Bengals. Let's not forget they just lost last year. So they got something to prove, and we'll see how the cards fall with this one. But
2: I got my money on the Bengals. So Andy Reid you played against when he first got to Kansas City. What was his offense, his innovative offense, like having to face as a defensive lineman? His philosophy's
0: changed over the years. Andy Reid used to be a run-first guy. With a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you could kind of let him operate. And the Bengals' defensive line has been doing a really good job of disrupting. I don't know. I think they're looking at chops this week for Andy Reid and whatever he's running with the quarterback. That ankle is not going to heal no time
1: soon. That's a high ankle sprain. He couldn't even walk off the field in the second quarter. He practically limped off the field. I'm sure they gave him a couple of quarter zone shots. He went back out there. The one thing I can give Patrick Mahomes credit for is he didn't quit. He went out there, he gave it his all, and he found a way to win the game. No matter what happened, and he couldn't throw, he couldn't run, he did what he can to help his team. And this week, it's going to be a little bit harder of an opponent. This team will get at you on the edges, and they put a lot of pressure inside too. So Patrick Mahomes could be running for For dear life, this offensive line is going to have to protect him and make sure that he can stand and make every single throw in a safe spot so he doesn't get hurt because you need him. If you do win this game, you still need him for the Super Bowl if you have to play San Francisco or the Eagles, two giant, dangerous defenses. So Patrick Mahomes has his work cut out for him. So when you look at the game and some of the great defensive linemen in the game, was there a particular defensive lineman that when you played, you were just like at awe watching him? Julius Peppers.
0: For a man to be as tall as he was, he could get as low as anybody on the field. Like, he was definitely special. A different type of athlete. And I would say my man Dwight Freeney, he was just unblockable. He just went out there and did whatever he wanted to do. And Robert Mathis, the list could go on and on. And the funny thing about it, we all learn from each other's game. Even though we all play the game completely differently. Me, I was more of a power rusher. Well, man, when I get a hold of the right type of tackle, look looks bad. You just got to learn how to play to your strength. And learn from those guys who are gifted, but it's still a skill set that they show. Like I learned how to really rush from watching Freeney when he come off the ball, he's like pitching a fastball. As soon as it get to the bases, curve. That's sack. The same thing. He made everything look the same. Every play. What's the art of uh, rushing? He
2: definitely was a master of it. The offensive line. Who is the toughest offensive line for a team that you had to face in your career, and also the hardest team offense that you faced? As far as this technique and skill, I say Joe Thomas. Hard and just will, I'd say Trent,
0: big Trent. Between those two guys, man, they don't get too much better than that. But Joe was definitely, it was a game where I rocked him so hard, right? And he bent over backwards, and I tried to overpower him. This guy did a split to hold his block. Dude, like, no, he did literally, y'all, he did a full split. <laughs> wow. And I, I don't know how he did tear growing. I've never seen that before. Well,
1: he definitely was a wizard with his
0: technique,
1: so, you know, Joe had to be one of them. You have to look at the shape that he's in right now. It's unbelievable. That guy has been a muscle. The magazine, that guy is built like a rock. He was like 300 pounds when he played as an offensive lineman for Cleveland, and now the guy is like 190 pounds, and he's cut to a brim. Have you seen Joe Thomas? No, I haven't. Oh, my God. Go look at the pictures that they post to his images, man. He is in unbelievable shape. That guy is a. Beast. If you're telling me he's at doing he splits did. at 300 pounds, go look at what he looks like now. I mean, the guy is cut. He's in unbelievable shape. He's almost 40 years old, and the guy's in a tremendous amount of shape. He's in better shape than 20 year olds. It's unbelievable. And you telling us a story that he was doing a split, I'm not surprised the athletic ability that guy has. I'm not surprised whatsoever. We are talking to former Cowboys, Broncos, and Jaguars defensive end and founder of Mr. mince production, Jeremy Mincy. You were on the field for quite a couple of years. What quarterback, mm-hmm. when you stepped on the field, you were just absolutely like, I gotta play him today. What quarterback just scared you every time you stepped on the field?
0: None really. (laughs) It's up to us to pump the fear in the quarterback. But I would say the guy you knew was gonna bring it, you was gonna have to come and play a perfect game to beat with Tom Brady. He just was the ultimate competitor, man. I made sure I sacked him every chance I got. So. I got
1: him, <laughs> How many got did time, four times did you sack him? I probably sacked Brady four times. All right. In your career, you had 26 sacks. So four out of your 26 was Tom Brady. That's not bad, man. That's not bad oh, at yeah, all. Man.
0: You forgive that. I had resentment towards New
1: England
2: for cutting me as a <laughs> <Yeah, you> go. <laughs> so that was a different type of motivation for that game. It I love it. Time. So, my last question before I mention, shout out to your family. I know you said so you had a family emergency. So, wishing them all the best. Oh, Absolutely. But also, right, um, this year we had a very tragic loss as well. A guy that you played with in your career when you were with Jacksonville. A guy we had on the yeah. show three months ago, Uche Waneri, Passing away, very sadly, 38 good years old. Good guy, too. Fantastic guy. Yeah. He was getting into his video games, his YouTube, and was a great guy. What was he like as a teammate on and off the field?
0: Uche was fun, man. Uche was a good dude. He was one of my main guys. I would hang out with him. Uh, and Vince Manawai, he's passed away as well. So, wow. That just brought that memories. Ooch was definitely, he was a light in the room. Ooch was Ooch, man. Like, Ooch loved to party. Ooch loved to play pool. Ooch loved to have fun. He was just an up-tempo, upbeat type of guy. Good man. He was very smart. intelligent brother.
1: Yeah, well, you're an intelligent guy. You have your production company. Keep up the good work. We definitely want to get you on again. You have some soul. You have your glasses on. You're rocking it, man. So (laughs) keep up the good work, man. We really appreciate all the time. And watch the Super Bowl. Watch the AFC and NFC title game. Because I might have to hit you up on social media and see where your picks really went. You got the Bengals and you got Philadelphia. We might have the same picks going into the Super Bowl. That could be a real fun Super Bowl. Joe Burrow versus Jalen Hurts.
2: And those defenses, that'll be fun. All right, Jeremy. I'm with you. I'm rooting for the Bengals, too, if that ends up happening. Against the Eagles. I know you play for the Cowboys, so I know you can't stand the Eagles. And I'm a Giants fan, so I can't stand the Eagles. Who either. wants
1: to see Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl again? I don't want to see that again. I I'm don't. tired of it. I don't. Even though Joe Burrow, if he goes to back to back Super Bowls, let him win a Super Bowl, and then we don't have to see the Bengals in the Super Bowl anymore either.
2: I, yeah, I do want to, to see 15 years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The Bengals never won in their so <laughs> That's why lost, I said it. They lost twice to the 49ers, and they lost last year to yes. the Rams. I remember before
1: last year, the last time they were in a Super Bowl, it was Boomer Esiason, And I remember that game too. I was a kid. Too, I was like six years old. So were you. It was a long time, but it's got some nice shades. Look at him.
2: Oh, I mean, love the shades.
1: I'm a shades guy too. I like the Gucci shades. Come on, man. Jeremy knows how to strunt it, but so do I. See, I wouldn't look good on a radio show when people are watching me with shades on. I think people would be like, "I can't see your eyes. I don't know if you're even speaking to me. Are you talking to a wall or you're talking to your computer?
2: What are you doing?" Jeremy, maybe next time we have you on the show, I will wear shades on air for you. <laughs>
1: All right. I mean, I don't need them. But... Hey,
2: look at that. You look different without your shades man
1: but fantastic keep up the good work my friend rest in peace to your sister hopefully everything's going good with your family now yeah man we'll be back on track we'll get you on very very soon all right man thank y'all for having me man i enjoyed Jeremy, a.k.a. Dogman Mincy. Go check out his movie. He's working, producing rap videos and all the crazy stuff he's doing. This guy's an entrepreneur, and he
2: has a nice pair of glasses. Love those shades. Yeah. Love what he's doing in the, in the music industry, too. He said he was even doing it before he was playing. That's Good nice. for him. That's something. And he's a Tupac fan.
1: When we come back, NHL as the New York Islanders need to make a decision as they could be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. My answer to that is sell. When we come back, I will tell you why the Islanders should sell. And I don't want to hear it from Lou that they should be buying here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, can to can our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9 the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Go check out our website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, Game On on Fridays. Wise Guys, that airs every single Thursdays, And yes, the Sports Loud Mouths, which air every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great content, great shows, great personalities on our network throughout the week. So if you like sports, you like to laugh, and you like some of the interviews, you must listen to the shows throughout the week. Hockey is getting hot here in New York, and I think it's getting really, really cold for the New York Islanders. And I am so tired of listening to Lou Lamorello make excuses or not even make any excuses. As Lou Lamorello said the other day, there's no excuses because that's on me. Totally on me, Lamorello said. That's my responsibility to make us the best team we possibly can be. To make whatever changes we can. It's not the coaching staff. It's not the players. And I take full responsibility. It's making it happen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Lou is not making it happen. This team has been absolutely dreadful the last four weeks. The Islanders are three for their last 59 power plays. The third worst power play in the NHL. This is the worst power play streak in NHL history since the Maple Leafs with 51 in a row during the original six era. The Panthers 43 in 2014 and the Sharks 41 in a row in 1997. Third worst overall power play in the league, which is right now six. 16.1%. and only the blue jackets and the Canadians are worse. I know there's a lot of Islander fans that don't want to give up the season. They're still in a playoff hunt. It's just the all-star break. We've seen St. Louis win a Stanley Cup and come back from just a a dreadful first half. They hired Craig Berube and then all of a sudden there she blows. They win and then they go to the Stanley Cup finals and knock off the Boston Bruins. This Islander team doesn't have that offensive talent that St. Louis did. Not even close. Brock Nelson leads the team with 18 goals. You gave Matthew Barzell a 7 $79 million contract in the offseason. He's making almost $9 million a year. And I'm not blaming Matthew Barzell. I'm not even blaming Lambert right now. This team has no weapons. I blame Lou Lamarello. I've spoken out that the Islanders should go after this guy. And the Islanders should go after that guy. They're not Lou Lamarello guys. And Lou is not going to bring in a Malkin or a Crosby. Maybe Ovechkin. Ovechkin fits the way he likes to play. But they're not getting him. They're not bringing in finesse guys. He doesn't like finesse guys. He doesn't like me players. He likes... Team players, guys that they'll throw their body in front of a puck, guys that will hit at will, guys that will be gritty players and not think go first, defense first, scoring second. But right now, this team is not scoring. I've heard Timo Meyer, Bo Horvat. The Islanders would have to give away prospects to get these guys when they're already going to be free agents in the offseason. Are the Islanders good enough if they can sneak into the playoffs to knock off the Carolina Hurricanes, or the Boston Bruins, or the Toronto Maple Leafs in a seven-game series? And the answer is no.
2: And again, can you make that kind of trade without knowing where your position will end up being? Even if they do trade for Timo Meyer, who I think is fantastic, the Islanders are still probably going to be the first card team at best. The Rangers, the Devils, and the Hurricanes being top three in that division then an experienced Penguins team that usually gets hot in the second half of the season to at least make the playoffs, whether they do well in the playoffs. That's your competition right now if you're the Islanders. The other division, the Leafs, the Bruins, the two-time Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, recently. That's your competition at a very stacked Eastern Conference. It really doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Something worth pursuing in free agency if whoever trades for Timo Meyer does not re-sign him. But yeah, you definitely can't give up an Adu, Adurati, Simone Holstrom, or any of those top prospects that the Islanders have right now. You're trying to build your team around, you're trying to get younger. Because like you said, Lou Lamoureux has paid for a lot of veteran guys that haven't worked out. These types of guys are good grit guys to be trade deadline pieces for teams that already have the offense, the center depth established. The Islanders are trying to build with those guys, and that's very hard to do. Now, they have a good postseason identity. They made the Eastern Conference Finals twice, fine. But that was with Trots. That might not be with Lane Lambert, who's a very inexperienced coach. Yeah, the players like him more, whatever. This is not Barry Trots, an experienced, definitely future Hall of Fame coach. The Islanders have to realize that identity is not going to work anymore. So Lou, if he's staying with the team any longer, definitely going to have to make some changes to his thoughts? According to Dave Pagnotta
1: of the NHL Network and SiriusXM, Lou Lamorella will keep the Islanders buyers at the deadline, but will be cautious with the price. Lamorella said, I think if we can make ourselves better, whether it's been yesterday or the day before or today or tomorrow, we will definitely do so. So, he is going to be a buyer. I don't know why he's going to be a buyer, and I don't know how much time Lou Lamorella has left as the GM of this organization. And I don't want his son to take over this team. They need to bring a guy that has a experience. They need to bring in a younger guy that understands the way the league works with speed and agility. They don't have that. They have one guy that can outskate and out-duel mostly anybody in the league in Matthew Barzell. They don't have any more than that. Brock Nelson is not a fast guy. Casey Sezekius is not a fast guy. Clutterbuck is not a fast guy. Matty Martin is not a fast guy. Zach Barisi is fast but getting slow. They're not a fast team and they are the oldest team in the NHL right now. The New York Islanders, at one point, were one of the younger teams in the NHL, are now the oldest team in the NHL. An average of 29 years or older on this team. That is not going to make this team any better in the future. So, And I understand, since Adams Pellick's injury in the last 20 games, he has missed. The Islanders have been outscored 63-52. We all understand that. Adam Pellick plays a big part, especially the average of shots. Since Adam Pellick has not been in this lineup, every team has been averaging 30.7 shots a game against the Islanders. And that is not going to help them win. That's putting more pressure on Sorokin to make the save and keep the team in it. And by the way, Sorokin is an All-Star. He deserves to be an All-Star. Could you imagine if Sorokin was on the Rangers? Carolina. Could you imagine what his record would be right now instead with the New York Islanders? So, you sit here today and you wonder what the Islanders should be doing. I think they should absolutely be selling. This is not a winning team. This is not a team moving forward that's going to win a Stanley Cup. They need to get rid of a lot of these veteran players and move forward with some of these youngsters. And if they want to bring in a Bo Horvat, they want to bring in a Timo Meyer or a Larkin, they could do that in the offseason when they become free agents if they become free agents. But right now, they need to be sellers so they have enough money on the cap in the offseason where they can buy who they want. And it doesn't make sense that Lou Lamorello is going to do the right thing going into the All-Star break.
2: You look at last year where they had all the issues with the COVID and the travel guys that were out for a while. Like, they had a legitimate excuse of, like, why they kind of underperformed, especially at the beginning of the season the way they did. But this year... If you want a reason to be able to trade some of those veteran forwards, especially Brock Nelson, Anthony Beauvillier, you're not probably not going to get anything for Bailey, but Scott Mayfield, even defensively, too, is going to be a free agent. Now's the time to be able to get those kinds of assets back and get the money reallocated so you can spend big for that kind of player, too, because Horvat's not going to come cheap by any means. Timo Meyer's not going to come cheap by any means. Dylan Larkin, even, is very underrated throughout his career, too. I think all three
1: guys are going to yeah. want close to $9
2: million uh-huh. a year. I definitely think Horvat's going to get that. He might even get 10 with the years he's having this year because he's a too. Too and a young center that's very durable. So, Islanders are going to have to shed some money to be able to make it do that. At the end of this year, there's production to have $10 million, but if they could trade those other contracts off, you're looking at a case where they could be over $20 million. And that gives them a lot of leeway to spend to try to get somebody that could help them be an impact or player two. offensively. I even think they should go for two, even more that. Get somebody like Horvat to start it off, and then they could even go for another free agent winger, too, at a $6 million a year price. And you could change that offense instantaneously, even if you do have to keep some veterans and guys, the Anders Lee, all that. They need just some speed all across their three lines. Absolutely, and I don't understand why Raddy's in the AHL right now. I think he should be up. I think he should be
1: playing on this team. When he was playing, he had a pretty big spark for the New York Islanders, so I understand what Lou Lamoriello wants to do. I think Lou thinks that this team is a playoff team, and they can compete with the elite teams. I just don't think they are. I don't think they're going to be an elite team moving forward. I think they really need to look for those gritty, good young players in the offseason where you can bring one of those guys or two of those guys in, and then you can go into the season next year with the goaltender that you have and some of the veteran and young defensemen that you have and possibly be contender next year so i think the islanders should be absolute sellers Going into the offseason. When we come back, MLB conversation. The Mets re-sign Jeff McNeil to a four-year, $50 million contract. And Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff are heading to Cooperstown. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why Rowland shouldn't have been the guy going to Cooperstown. There's somebody else on that list. It should be and is now off the list. I don't understand it. When we come back, I am going to have my arguments on why writers and Cooperstown got it wrong. Here on The Weekend Crunch. Just kidding, guys. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9. The L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our stories. We have great writers. Yes, we do. We have one really good writer, and Kyle Williams. So check out his stories that he posts up every single week. And, ladies and gentlemen, we have live shows that air every single week from Cincinnati to L.A. to New York and Florida. Check us out every single week including the Sports live Mouch which airs every single Wednesday at 7pm and Thursdays at 9pm. New York Mets! Yes, if you're a Mets fan you should be very happy as the batting champion Mr. Jeff McNeil signs a four year $50 million contract absolutely uh, team friendly contract it absolutely works for the New York Mets. Getting a player a good hitter A guy that can hit anywhere in the lineup as good as Jeff McNeil for four years, $50 million
2: speedy, is an absolute bargain. And you're a Met fan. You should be very excited. I am. I thought Jeff McNeil would be one of the guys that maybe could have been tougher to re-sign, too, because they turned down his arbitration at the beginning of the year, $7 million. Then he leapfrogged from where he was in 2020 and 2021, where he had two of his worst years of his career under Luis Rojas, who really changed his swing and really messed it up. Buck Showalter came in, Jeff McNeil's back to the bat champion, the contact hitter that he came up as when he came up in 2018, when he came up kind of very similarly to Daniel Murphy. He didn't start as hot as Daniel Murphy did, but again, very similar type of player. Hits all across the field and was consistently this year the Mets' best hitter and definitely deserving of even bigger money than he got. This is absolutely team-friendly. I'm surprised they only get him at this kind of clip. $12.5 million a year is absolutely insane for a player of that caliber. A guy that could play all over the field defensively, too. He played corner outfield spots very well, second base, third base very well this year. I was very questionable of his defense at the beginning of his career, but he improved a lot in that area this year. So kudos to Steve Cohen, Billy Epler. This is a great contract. For I mean, Jeff they McNeil. overpaid for Nimmo. I think
1: they got a good deal for McNeil because I think McNeil is a better player than Brandon Nimmo can hit for average. This guy has been a 300 hitter practically his whole career. Right. And last year he won the batting title. So you wonder what the Mets are doing. If they're doing it all wrong and they're opening up their pockets because uncle Stevie wants to open up his pockets in this deal. Uncle Stevie got it right. He got a player that is a homegrown player, one. And two, wants to be here and took a small contract for a player of this magnitude. Four years, $50 million, absolute bargain. Congratulations to Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. I think both guys are very talented player. Scott Rowland, seven-time Gold Glove winner. One of the better defense third basemen we've seen in a very long time. And Fred McGriff, who should have been in the Hall of Fame for years. And then finally, the BBWAA, who inducted him and decided to bring him into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Well-deserved. Fred McGriff, well-deserved. I'm not going to say that Scott Rowland doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Famer. Looking at the list of guys that could have made it over Scott Rowland. The fact that Jeff Kent, one of the greatest second basemen in Major League history, only finished his final year on the ballot with 46.5 votes is despicable absolutely despicable and i don't care if the writers didn't like him i don't care if he was a mean player and the fans hated him which a lot of fans didn't i don't care that him and barry bonds hated each other this guy never did steroids never cheated never did anything off the field that could get him in trouble with drugs domestic violence or any of that this man went out there every single week in almost 14 years of playing and did it right How is this guy not a first ballot Hall of Famer? It doesn't make any sense. He's been on the ballot, and he's never gotten over 50%. Scott Rowland was a good defensive player. Okay offensive player. 282 home runs. He is not a 300 hitter. He's not Alex Rodriguez, who was a career 299 hitter, or Derek Jeter was a career 300 hitter. He's not one of those guys. Scott Rowland was a great defensive player. Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Maybe. Not this quick. I do believe Billy Wagner is a Hall of Famer. Ten years span, he was one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. Dominant left-handed pitcher. He will be in the Hall of Fame next year. There's no question. But there's no reason why Scott Rowland is going to the Hall of Fame before Billy Wagner. Andrew Jones is one of the greatest center fielders in Major League history. Some people would argue he could be. This guy ended up this year with 58.1% of the votes. What did Andrew Jones do? There is no proof that he did steroids. This guy had a long career. With Atlanta, he played for the Yankees. He played for a bunch of teams, but for almost 12 years, he played for Atlanta. And he was an elite player. How is this guy not in the Hall of Fame, but Scott Rowland is? And this is where the Major League has it wrong. They've had it wrong for years. Lee Smith, he was a great relief pitcher. He played for like 25 years. He's in the Hall of Fame. I don't understand it. Baseball has... This wrong. I'm not taking shots at Scott Rowland. Everybody thinks I hate Scott Rowland. I posted something on social media the other day saying that Scott Rowland, well-deserved, but shouldn't be the one that's going into Cooperstown this year. Jeff Kent is the best player on this list. It's not even close. This is a guy that deserves to be in Cooperstown. And because the writers didn't like him, And he didn't want to speak to the writers. And he didn't want to talk to the writers.
2: And he hated the press. He is not in the Hall of Fame. And it's a sport full of controversy. So you can't have some standards for some people and put him down on somebody like Jeff Kent. Yes, even if there was an inkling of thought that he might have done steroids. You just let David Ortiz in on the first ballot, no problem. Not that David Ortiz doesn't deserve it. I think he's probably the best destiny hitter of all time. Whatever. Jeff Kent, among middle infielders, has the third most home runs of all time, only to Cal Ripken Jr. and Alfonso Soriano. And Alfonso Soriano was an outfielder towards the end of his career. Kent was too at certain points. Fine, I understand that. But still, Jeff Kent has... An insane amount of home runs. He has more home runs than Scott Rowland does. And he's a middle infielder and couldn't get it in, in the Hall of Fame. He got barely over half the votes he needed for the Hall of Fame. And if you're using the standard of greatest defensive players in particular positions, which Rowland probably is the second or third best defensive third baseman ever. You could argue, Nolan, I don't mind getting that point? And then Brooks Robinson's the best of all time. But Andrew Jones is arguably the best defensive center fielder of all time and also has over 400 home runs and you don't put him in, why? It makes no sense. I'm with you where Roland, I think, should get in... But not over Andrew Jones and not over a lot of these other guys that were listed, too. Todd Helton, Billy Wagner were both premier players of their positions for a long time. I'm not a big Todd Helton fan. I know fan. you're not, I know you're not, but at the time he was still was considered a top Do five. Do I think first he's better baseman. than Scott Rowland? Yes. Yes. Scott Rowland only probably had certain years in his career where he's thought of as a top five third baseman. Great player, good playoff player, won a World Series with the Cardinals. Again, I'm not denying that he shouldn't get in, but the standard of using only defense should not go against Andrew Jones for that same reason. So I just think the baseball hall of fame loves hypocrisy when it comes to it. And they try to avoid controversy, yet it's a part of your game. It's been a part of your game for history. Ty Cobb was the first guy I ever got to get in the Hall of Fame. And he was betting on games and fixing games and all that and cheating in his own way. Yet he has no problem getting in the Hall of Fame. So the standard that baseball has is absolutely crazy. Bud
1: Selig is in the Hall of Fame. Bud Selig, who actually was the commissioner when steroids was going around and he allowed steroids to be used in baseball. And he's in the Hall of Fame. George Steinbrenner isn't. Why isn't George Steinbrenner in the Hall of Fame? He's the boss. He Help baseball if it wasn't for george steinbrenner baseball wouldn't be what it is today money and tv deals wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for george steinbrenner the yes network was the first baseball channel ever created now every single baseball team has their own network the mlb has their own network because of george steinbrenner But he's not in the Hall of Fame. And that's why these baseball writers are absolutely ridiculous. Horrible. And they should be ashamed of themselves. And if I was Jeff Kent right now, I would write a letter to the worst commissioner in sports, (laughs) Rob Manford. And say this is an absolute mockery of the organization, what you call the MLB. Despicable. This has nothing to do with Scott Rowland. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to Fred McGriff. Well deserved. Fred McGriff should have been there years ago. It is absolutely despicable what the MLB has done to some of these players. Barry Bond should be there. Absolutely should be there. Roger Clemens should be there. I understand they did steroids. Put an asterisk. I don't give a crap. They belong there.
2: Somebody like A-Rod. 100% should He only
1: got 35% of the vote this year. That's higher than I thought he was going to get. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if he'll ever get in. David Ortiz did, and he cheated. Why is he in the Hall of Fame? Could anybody give that answer?
2: One guy, George Mitchell.
1: How about Jeff Bagwell? Why is he there? By the way, who drafted Jeff Bagwell? Boston Red Sox. It is despicable. It's just so fitting that every time you hear the Red Sox name come out in that Mitchell report, all the guys that were in that Mitchell report are Hall of Famers. Except Manny Ramirez, because Manny Ramirez did a lot of ridiculous things. That's the joke. Alex Rodriguez will never go to the Hall of Fame because he played for the Yankees, and Bud Selig wanted to put the steroid error on him. It was his fault. Alex is the one that did it. Meanwhile, Jose Canseco was the one that threw every single player under the bus. So, MLB, we had Spader on. Spader knows the whole situation. Spader already said that steroids should be allowed in baseball. I agree with him. I think in sports, if they want to do steroids, to stay on the field, let them do it. The only sports they shouldn't be doing steroids is in combat sports because you can kill somebody. A lot of these guys have been doing it. They've been using amphetamines. I don't understand baseball. People have been using amphetamines all the way in the 80s, the
2: 70s, the 60s. Half of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Mike Schmidt, probably the best third baseman. In the Hall of Fame took amphetamines pretty much his whole career. How are they in the Hall of Fame? They're in the Hall of Fame, and yet Jeff Kent can't get in. Doesn't make
1: any sense. So thank you, baseball. Thank you to the writers. Thank you to Cooperstown for making my day just go to the hills. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some NBA as the Knicks are gathering some information as Cam Reddish will be available to be traded. As the trading deadline is February 9th, two weeks away. The All-Star break is coming right up. Slam dunk. Oh, no. The New York Knicks are right now the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. Do the Knicks make a move for Zach Levine or do they make a small move where they can add some drafts? Picks that they already have a bookload of them. We will come back with some Knicks conversation. And are the clowns of Brooklyn going to keep their spot at number four? When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, is in our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, which is live. You can call the shows. You can interact with all the talent and check out all the great guests that we have on the show. Check out the Sports Loudmouth, which is our show that airs every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Don't miss out. Listen every single week. NBA is so very interesting at this time. And by the way, there are two New York teams are in playoff spots. How many years that we have had over the last 12 years that we can honestly say we have two New York teams fighting for a playoff spot? Not many. The New York Knicks made a great signing in the offseason for Jalen Brunson, who has been spectacular to me. He's been one of the best point guards in the league. Absolutely should be an all-star. He has been unbelievable. Julius Randle's played well for the last couple of weeks. Now, being that he's played well, I think the Knicks should think about moving him. He's very high right now as far as the numbers he's put up offensively this year. He is right now at the highest point that he could be. And if I were the Knicks and you don't believe that Julius Randle is part of the future, and you believe Obi Toppin is, I would move Julius Randle at the trade deadline. I know everybody keeps talking about this Cam Reddish thing. Cam Reddish is a sixth man or a seventh man off the bench. That's all he is. What are the Knicks going to get for that? A second-round draft pick for him? A player? Not a star? You're not getting a Donovan Mitchell, who, by the way, has been one of the best players in the league, which now you go back on that R.J. Barrett trade or Quentin Grimes. Maybe the Knicks made a mistake on that. Maybe the Knicks are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference if they made that trade for Donovan Mitchell and had Jalen Brunson and probably had the best offseason than any team in basketball.
2: Yeah, if they didn't have to trade R.J. Barrett in that deal, you're probably looking at that kind of case. Because R.J. Barrett, since he had that first kind of he's playing one month, he's been fantastic ever since then, too. And improved on his threes. has improved on his free throws, too, which is very impressive. But I definitely agree with you on Randall though. This is the best time to be able to get something back for him. The Knicks have enough forward wing types, as it is. And Obi Toppin should be getting more playing time, too, because the Knicks' best quarter has been the second quarter this season. And Obi Toppin plays the majority of his minutes in the second quarter. And a good guy for team chemistry, a good guy for passing. His defense has been okay, but still improved from where it was last year. And he's been a player that has been efficient on the court, too, which the Knicks have definitely needed for a while. Jalen Bronson is now providing that, and RJ Barrett has gotten a lot better in that, too. So, Julius Randle, even though he has been good in terms of volume scoring, still kind of inefficient. So, if they can get a good package for Randle, that would definitely be helpful. Zach! Zach Levine Levine. is the big name being brought up, and I would be all for that, because Zach Levine is a precise three-point shooter that they definitely need, and also a volume scorer that is much more efficient than Julius Randle. Right now, Chicago is in the bottom of the Eastern
1: Conference, the 11th seed in the Eastern Conference. Right now, to get a player of Zach Levine's talent could really put the Knicks in a position where they can move up from the 7th or 6th seed to maybe the 5th or the 4th. And Zach Levine's still fairly young. He's 27 years old. He's in the prime of his career. He is not Donovan Mitchell. And nobody is saying that he is. But he's still under contract. Three years left on his contract uh, till he's 30 years old. And maybe if you're interested in Donovan Mitchell when he becomes available at the age of 29, you still have Zach Levine for one more year. You have Jalen Brunson, and then you have your three. You have Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, and maybe an R.J. Barrett and some youngsters that you have. It makes a lot of sense to make this move. I don't know if Zach Levine is going to be available at the trade deadline, especially if the Chicago Bulls are fighting for a playoff spot. But if they are, maybe you give up a Quentin Grimes now. Maybe you give up one of these Obi Toppin. If if you can get Zach Levine, I would trade Obi Toppin. And Julius Randle for him. But right now, they need that other piece, and it's not Julius. Julius Randle has already proven he can't play in the playoffs. Yeah. Under pressure, he's not the number one guy. Jalen Brunson should be the number one guy. You bring Zach Levine in, he's the number two guy, and then RJ is your number three. You can compete that way. Are you going to win with that? Probably not. But the Knicks have had a very good year. Tom Thibodeau has been very good as a coach this year. Yeah. And their defense has played better in the second half, something they didn't do very well last year. So I want to see the Knicks make a move and bring in a player of consistency, a guy that could shoot, spread out the offense, and something that a guy like Tom Thibodeau likes to do. So that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing what the Knicks are going to do at the trade deadline. As far as that Cam Reddish thing, the Golden State Warriors might be interested in him, or Miami might be interested in him. Miami is right now trying to decide if they're, Buyers or sellers. I don't know if Miami is as good as they have been over the last couple of years.
2: They might be stuck where they're neither. They might have to stay pat right now.
1: I don't think they're a championship team this year. I don't. I think there's a lot of deficiencies in that offense. And they were really reaching in the offseason when they were signing players. So I don't think that this team is a winning team this year. So I think Miami is really starting to crawl in the Eastern Conference, not walk. This has been a problem for Miami the last couple of years, especially with the injuries. Now, to me, with the Clowns of Brooklyn, they're playing better basketball than I ever thought that they would. They don't have Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving has played well. He has to play well. Everything has got to go through Kyrie Irving. We've seen Kyrie Irving as the number one guy. In Boston, he had Tatum there. He had Jalen Brown there, and he couldn't cut it over there. But finally, maybe with all the pressure and all the crap that he said early this season that really put him in the tabloids and all over the newspapers, maybe he wants to put up and shut up. But Kyrie Irvin usually doesn't shut up. <laughs> but this is an organization that's getting a lot back from Ben Simmons, who I never thought would be a good player for the Brooklyn Nets, but he has played better. You haven't heard anything from that locker room the last couple of weeks. About time. <laughs> it's really been all team. They're getting enough points off the bench, which is very surprising. Their offense is starting to look like an NBA offense without Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, When he comes back, if this team is playing a little bit over five hundred ball and he comes back, Boston lost against the Knicks the other night. Boston has deficiencies in their offense, and especially in the fourth quarter. They're not a good fourth quarter team. They're a good first, second, and third quarter team. If you look at what they have done in the last couple of weeks, they have been not a very good fourth quarter team. And even Milwaukee, there's a lot of deficiencies with Milwaukee in the last couple of weeks as well. These top teams in the Eastern Conference— There are a lot of weaknesses. The team that's played well in Eastern Conference is the 76ers. They've been really, really good. And Joel Embiid has been an MVP candidate. To me, the three candidates right now for MVP voting is Jokic, Tatum, and now Embiid. And then there's the Greek freak. But the freak is right in four. He's not winning it this year. It's probably going to be Jokic, but... Tatum's had an unbelievable year let me tell you Joel Embiid has been unbelievable since he's come
2: back from his injury yeah if he wasn't out for a month he's definitely in that tendency for sure he wins because this stretch has just been torrid because James Harden's had a great stretch too but again James Harden isn't as much of the team impact player all around as what Embiid brings when it comes to his passing when it comes to his defense inside block shots Embiid is really the spark plug chemistry wise with that Sixers team that's why they've been the best team in the Eastern Conference for the last month of the season you're right the Celtics have started to have had some leaks and the Knicks started to expose those kind of things. And if you're the Nets right now, the Nets are getting a little more depth than we expected too, from guys like Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren has played well, Nick Claxton's starting to get a little better offensively where it's really not just Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant scoring all the time. And since Kevin Durant's been out, they really have had to go to that. And if they can get Seth Curry and Joe Harris going, who have been their good offensive guys off the bench. Harris has been horrible. Yeah. I, I, it's weird because he was, Thought of as one of the better role players on that team for a while, the last two years he's really horrible. Lost it. They
1: overspend for him,
2: and he hasn't been the three point shooter they thought he was going to be. Now, obviously, the depth is not going to get overall to the level of a team like the Celtics or the Bucs but if they, if they can at least get it close, you're talking about the top three, the next team in the Eastern Conference, and then who knows what can happen in a playoff series? They played close with Milwaukee two years ago. They lost because Kevin Durant had a shoe that was too big and had it put on the line.
1: <laughs> so, Please.
2: otherwise, the Nets beat the Bucks, and who knows? They probably go into the NBA Finals whether they beat the. Suns or not, I don't know, but you look at a case where they played close, and then the Celtics series that they swept them the first year, they got swept the second year, which end of you're going to get this time? They need to make sure that Kevin Durant is going to be 100% healthy when
1: he comes back, because they can't afford to lose him again. He needs to be the guy, he needs to be 100% healthy going into the playoffs if they have any chance to knock off the Boston Celtics, or right. the Milwaukee Bucks, or even the 76ers. By the way, I'm not a Doc Rivers fan, but he's got this team playing very, very well. So I'm very surprised, and I give him a lot of credit. Still not a fan of him. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? wrench time here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Lab Mouths, every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great content, great guests, great personalities. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio Network every single week. Speedy, it's been a great show. Thank you to Jeremy Mincy. Speedy, are you ready? Yep. It is time for Crunch Time!
2: It's time for Crunch Time! Alright, we're going to start Crunch Time with a little defense this week in the NFL. We'll start in the NFC Championship game. Buy or sell. Both Nick Bosa and Hassan Reddick will have a sack. I'm going to that. There is
1: no way Nick Bosa is going to get shut out for another week. I think Nick Bosa has a sack. Hassan Reddick gets a
2: sack. I'm buying it. I'm going to sell that one. I think most of the Eagles pressure is going to come interior more than it will come on the outside. The Niners have good tackles, but they showed weaknesses against Dallas last week on the interior. So I think it'll be more of that rush. So I don't know if Reddick gets it. I definitely think Bosa gets it. I am going to sell that one. Buy or sell. Cam Reddish will be traded at the trade deadline absolutely buy
1: it. I don't see the Knicks keeping him.
2: He's not playing, so why keep him on this roster, so
1: I'm going to buy
2: it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. A 3-and-D guy, I think, is going to be valuable to a lot of teams, and I think the Knicks realize they kind of lost the value with that. They were trying to trade him in the offseason this year, and now they realize they're probably only going to get a second-round pick for that, so I do think they at least trade him, at least get something this time around, whether it's a pick or maybe a big man held him out because Mitchell Robinson's hurt, so yeah, I agree with you. I will buy that as well. Alright, go to the AFC Championship game. Somebody other than Travis Kelsey or Jamar Chase will lead the Bengals-Chiefs game in receiving yards. I'm going to buy it. Mr. Tony will be leading it
1: for the Kansas City Chiefs so I am going to buy it. And T. Higgins, by the way, I've been saying that
2: over and over again. T. Higgins and your boy, Tony, are going to lead it for both teams. Uh-huh. I'm going to sell. I do think Canarius Tony will lead the Chiefs. I'm with you on that, but I do think Jamar Chase still has the most in the entire game. I think Canarius Tony may Remember I scrimmage. said T. Higgins. Yeah, I-, I think T. Higgins, I have to see his consistency go up. He's been good at certain points this year, but still kind of up and down. And so far in the playoffs, he's had a rough go of it. And I do think if the Bengals' offensive line has a lot of pressure on them, T. Higgins is not the one. That, he's more the bigger of type that's going to get lost in that shuffle. but I, So I think Chase will lead the Bengals. I do agree with you, though. Tony totally leads the Chiefs, But nevertheless, I am going to sell it. Alright, or sell. Shohei Otani will be traded before the start of the season. Oh, I sell that. There's no way they're trading him.
1: I'll be very surprised if Anaheim doesn't re-sign him. I don't think he's leaving from out west, and if he does, he goes to San Francisco with the Dodgers. He stays in LA. He stays in California, so I am going to sell
2: it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. There have been rumors that Art Marino will end up trading him at some point. I just think the market value is going to be very extreme to start when it comes to the Angels. You look at a new GM, you look at a team that really just needs to rebuild in every facet. And I just think the market value is not going to be what teams are going to be looking for yet. I think the value will fall, and then eventually teams will do it at the trade deadline. So I am going to sell that one. All right, buy or sell. Three out of four of Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Debo, and Christian McCaffrey will have 60 or more rushing yards. I'm going to buy
1: it. I think three out of the four will definitely have a Jalen Hurts. Good. I do believe Christian McCaffrey and Miles Sanders. I don't believe Debo Samuels. I think they're going to use him more as a wide receiver in this game, spread the offense out, and try to beat the Philadelphia Eagles at their own game with their DBs.
2: So I am going to buy it. I am going to sell that. I agree with you on Hurts. I agree with you on McCaffrey. They definitely will. I think Hurts will definitely run for a much bigger volume. I don't think Miles Sanders does this week, though. I don't think he'll be able to run for the watch, baby. The same way he did against you the Giants. Watch. This is a much better front seven that the 49ers have. It's Debo, the miles, time. De- Debo Samuel, I, I don't think even receiving will have a great game in this one either. I think this is a very tough matchup for him against this Eagles secondary and running on the interior, like I was saying, with the interior offensive line struggling last week. So, I am going to sell that. Alright, buy or sell? The Islanders will trade two out of four of Nelson, Beauvillier, Mayfield, and
1: Varlamov. I buy it. I think they're going to trade off pieces. I don't care what Lou says. He's going to realize one way
2: or another that this team is not ready for the playoffs this year, and he will move on. I I will buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. Varlamov is going to be a hot commodity for a lot of teams that need goaltenders, especially in the Western Conference. And I think Nelson will be the other one that I think definitely could get moved, a face-off guy, veteran guy that, again, he's a streaky goal scorer, but beyond that, it's pretty consistent as a whole, so I am going to buy that one as well. Alright, last one. Patrick Mahomes will have more passing yards than Joe Burrow.
1: I buy it. The way Patrick Mahomes plays, he's going to be at Arrowhead. He is going to have a fantastic game, but is his leg going to hold up? Are they going to hold up offense to stop Joe Burrow, I don't think Joe Burrow is going to have the numbers, Patrick Mahomes. I expect Joe Burrow to throw 250 yards, three touchdowns. I still think he could throw three touchdowns in this game. I expect that the running game and P. Ryan and Joe Mixon will open up the field for guys like T. Higgins to take control of this game. So I am going to buy that Patrick Mahomes will have more yards thrown.
2: Than Joey Bower. Yeah, I'm gonna buy that one too. It's not net passing yards. Yes, Patrick Mahomes is not gonna have the big deep throws throughout the entire game because he can't throw on the run as well. But I think you're gonna see a lot of yards after the catch. We were talking about Kadarius Tony earlier in the segment. I think he's a great guy to be able to help with that kind of thing. Jarek McKinnon, another guy to watch out for too uh, on screen passes. The Bengals did pretty good at tackling screen passes last week against the Bills, but I think Jarek McKinnon, he's done it before in the playoffs against the Bengals last year, had a great game. I think he'll be another weapon for them. And Joe Burrow with that offensive line being being rough on the interior. I don't know if he'll have as good of passing volume. I think he's going to be forced to throw it out quickly. And besides Chase, and maybe, boy, to an extent, they don't have as much of the yards after the catch guys and the shiftiness like the Chiefs do. And Andy Reid definitely over Zach Taylor coaching-wise. So, I am going to buy that one. Patrick Mahomes will have more passing yards than Joe Burrow. Eagles,
1: Bengals, baby! Have, Super
2: Bowl 57! I, I have Eagles, Chiefs, and I'm hoping it's the opposite as a Giants fan. i hope hoping it's Bengals 49ers, we'll say. I don't want to see that. I would love to see the Eagles versus the Chiefs. That would be fun. A uh, guy like Andy Reid
1: against his old team, his former team, the Eagles know him pretty well, and Andy Reid knows the Eagles pretty well. It's a different team now, a different organization, but a guy that is very well-respected around the league. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I would like to see it. But great show. Thank you to Jeremy Mincy for joining us. He was fantastic. Thank you to all the fans, all the people in Long Island and throughout the country that listens to this show every single week. We love being the voice of Long Island and New York sports radio. Thank you to 103.9. Thank you to the LI News Radio. Thank you to Pat. Thank you to John. Thank you to everybody that gives us the chance to really Spit out our valuable information throughout the week of what's going on in sports. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next week, I have to say good night, and we will talk to you then. Good night, everybody.